Welcome to Media Matters, a special series by the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Gentile, and I'll be joined by those who work out front and behind the scenes in Chicago sports media. We'll learn about their backgrounds in the industry and get their thoughts on the ongoing changes in sports media and digital content. And now, let's meet our first guest, Tony Gill, podcast producer at NBC Sports Chicago. All right, so let's bring Tony Gill in now. Tony, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks a lot for uh, for having me on, man. This is, some, this is certainly an interesting uh, subject matter. I've always been a, a sports media geek. I've always loved listening to sports radio, reading about everything behind the scenes, even reading about everything behind the scenes at the at the newspapers in town. So I've always been interested in it. I know that there's a lot of other people that love this stuff too. So I wanted to just try something different. And before we get into our, our discussion though, I'm curious, what pushed you in the direction of doing doing what you do? Was it sports radio, TV, newspapers? I and mean, what specifically got you into the industry? Uh, well, it was sports radio. Um, I grew up a, a fan of Six Avenue The Score. Uh, and uh, listening to it my whole life. My father was a fan of Six Avenue The Score. And, um, you know, in the in the stage where you're supposed to figure out, you know, who you are, what you want to be, like at the end of high school, you know, starts of college. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know. But, you know, I knew I was a sports fan, played sports my whole life. Uh, I knew that some, something in sports was going to be for me. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I went to a year at Robert Morris University. Um, and uh, initially go, started to get into computer networking. Uh, and I hated every bit of it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was all right at it. You know, if that was a career that I wanted to pursue, I mean, it sure pays, you know, enough, right. but uh, it it just wasn't for me. Uh, so, you know, I took a year off after I got my associates and just kind of figured out all right, what I wanted to do. And uh, I, I would listen to the score. I still had a regular day job uh, every day. And I was like, you know what? I think I want to do radio. So I heard the, the the Illinois Media School commercial, and I was like, boom, that's 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 it. And uh, it kind of sped up from there. You know, that the Illinois Media School, it seems like it, it's like a really interesting gateway. There's a lot of people that work behind the scenes that, that come from that place. Yeah, yeah. Um, either that or Columbia. <laughs> like the two the two hotbeds for for local uh media talent um and i think i mean there's not a lot of media training you know going on um right now and it's once you find a school with that that was my big thing um i felt i felt like mm-hmm. well this job you know they if they like you enough and you know you you work hard enough they're gonna teach you everything uh, that they need you to know on on the job. That's mm-hmm. what that's what I kind of figured out um, with this. But um, all I needed was the connections and getting to know the right people because I knew my passion and and my willingness to learn to make sure that you know I can do the job was gonna be able to take over. So uh, that's why I, I essentially once they kind of showed me how to edit audio and how to do all those things, and I already knew I had an ear for what good content is and and I for what Mm -hmm. good content is. Um, I just needed to know how to formulate that uh, and and get it in front of people. So uh, those two programs specifically, I know, but uh, IMS for me, it it led me to the right people uh, to get to know the right people that can help me get to, you know, where I am today. Was there a particular show on the score or personality on the score that hooked you in when you were younger? Yeah, uh, two actually. Uh, Boards and Bernstein. Uh, was number one, and then the Lawrence Holmes show was was number two. So, um, wow. it, luckily enough, those shows were back to back. So, you know, I would try and listen in as much as possible on you know on the radio to those two shows. Um, and that's that's those are two shows I wanted to intern for and work for and and be a part of reasons why I wanted to be a part of the, the Score family. So that had to be a pretty cool moment though when then you got the opportunity to be Lawrence's executive producer when he got his midday show. That had to be a pretty cool, pretty cool moment. Yeah, it, it was that you know all those years of listening to him and then you know all those once I figured out what I wanted to do all those years of training and, and getting to, to that spot. Um, it was a dream come true. You know, like the goal was to make it to the score. And that was my first job. 
And then that was mm-hmm. my first executive producer position. So like, I, I didn't know what to do with myself after I got it. I was like, this is, it. This is all I had in my mind. I didn't you, think much farther than this. You hit the apex. Because you had been there for, what, about five years when you got to that that point of being at his executive producer, right? So like to hit that apex in, in five years, I mean, that's pretty, it's pretty remarkable in, in the business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was uh, 26, you know, when you know i got that position and like the the trajectory was just you know i had to really like slow down and was like you're 26 and you're an executive producer of a big time radio show like this is this is insane this is insane Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know once i got over it like all right this this is it like i gotta make sure you know they know that their time and effort and and thought about putting me in this position wasn't wasted uh, and, I, and I think they got their money's worth. You know, I, I come from DePaul, so I, I did stuff at Radio DePaul, and, and Lawrence was a big part of that. I, you know, he taught for, I know, some of the people I worked with there, and um, they always said, you know, he's he's very particular, I've, and I've read that too. And he's he's said that as much on his show, that he's got a certain way that he likes to prepare his show and, and, and certain format that he likes. Was there something that you learned from Lawrence during your time producing his show that you kind of hold on to now? Uh yeah, um I think one the biggest thing that I took from working with Long uh, Lawrence as as long as I have is his his thing or his mantra of lift as you climb. Hmm. Um, that was huge for me because everybody needs help, uh, and everybody you know if if they want the help and they're willing to learn, uh, it's your duty as you know the person to do as much as you can, uh, to help other people. Um, I. Like it's it's crazy just how things worked out for me in my career um, to get to the spaces and the places that I've managed to you know be a part of and it, it I mean I put in the work obviously but um, you need those people to open those doors for you to show that mm-hmm. you know you can't put in the work so um, I, I've had that you know my whole career um, you know Jason Golf Lawrence Holmes uh, Chris Tannehill Nick Shepkowski. Uh, Kevin Zpack, uh, Sean Davis, uh, and and uh, Jonathan Hood of ESPN. Like I've had people my whole life once I started uh, that that helped me. I, it's crazy because um, I went the first tour that I went on once I decided to go to IMS. Jonathan Hood was there, uh, mm. and I said I, we just walked past him. He was like switching from class to class, uh, and I left the group and I had to go say something to him. Like, look, I'm a big fan love your work. I'm going to work in this business. And like, he was like, okay, okay, young man, we'll see, you know, because this, I mean, this people give up on this so far when they don't see the progress. Uh, and, and he's seen it a lot. And for him mm-hmm. to see me at that moment, he was the first kind of like big time radio yeah. you know, personality that, you know, had a reaction to me, you know, and, um, just to see how far we've come. Like I've been in so many different spaces now with, with, with Jay hood. Um, yeah. Like to see for him to see my growth like that was, was excellent. He's helped me out plenty of times. So uh, lifting mm-hmm. as you climb, making sure, you know, you reach out if somebody's reaching out to you um, and they seem like legitimately they, they want to get into the space and they want to work hard and, and they just need, you know, a direction and stuff like that is your duty to, to, to help that person. And that's what I, you know, strive to do now. Hmm. And actually we have something in common with, with Jonathan hood. Um, I interned at ESPN 1000 back in the summer of 2010 and um, I wanted to make an impression. And I, I went up and introduced myself to Jonathan hood and Jonathan took note of that and I was the only intern that he talked to and the other interns in the newsroom they're like why isn't he talking to us and Adam Abdallah who's one of the producers now has you know nighttime show told the other interns he's like well you have to introduce yourself to Jonathan he's not going to come up and talk to you you have to go introduce yourself and um, you know Jonathan was a a big help because I was doing my college radio show and um, I was I just was like you know how can I make my show better like what do I need to do just it's just me. I don't have a guest host or anything. He's like, just keep talking to yourself at certain points of the day. Like, flesh out your point out loud. And he was one of the first people to, to you know, walk me through that and teach me that. So he's a great guy and one of the hardest workers in the business. Like, he'll come in with a stack of notes this thick every time he, he's prepping a show. 
Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, he's so prepared. I mean, he's he's done every level of broadcasting that you know you can think of. There's no you mm-hmm. know other veteran uh, that I would you know ascribe that to because he just he's not afraid to go after anything broadcasting wise. And, and yeah, I sincerely respect that and and his work ethic. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm so happy he now has spot in the in the morning drive. I think that's awesome that he's finally getting that opportunity. So. While you were at the score, you were also doing, you had No Zones, the the basketball podcast. You did Behind the Headlines, which I thought was a really underrated podcast. Was there any other project, though, or was there something that, you know, you'll never forget from your time at the score, like a specific memory or project that that you hold near and dear to you? Uh, The Joe Madden interviews, I think, really set my my producing skills uh, apart and kind of let people know what I'm about when I produce shows. Um, Joe Madden is, is highly intelligent and, and very, mm-hmm. uh, um, he speaks really, really well and he's really interesting. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that we highlight those things because, you know, baseball is baseball, especially as much as we were going to talk to him during that season. I mean, we're going to talk to him every week. Like, I mm-hmm. just didn't want to. Hey, what what are your thoughts about the lineup that you put out the other day? Like the, it, what Lawrence entrusted me with, and why he wanted me to make uh, uh, be the executive producer for his show was just my natural curiosity and my uh, attractiveness towards the interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the monotony of a baseball season can get boring. Uh, and I didn't I didn't want our show to be boring. I didn't want our interviews to be boring and normal. Um, I wanted to do something that, all right, this is, this is a Tony Gill staple. This is a Lawrence Holmes show uh, staple. So we, we introduced Joe's box uh, where we would have just random questions from fans uh, that would, would, wouldn't be about baseball or some, uh, or a overarching theme about baseball that would be more interesting than just, his mm-hmm. rotational assignments. <laughs> so, uh, and once we started that, it was a huge hit, big hit with Joe, big hit with the fans. It was one of our highest rated segments uh, mm-hmm. on the show. And it was fun and it was fun and it was funny. Uh, and that was all I was going for. So if I had to pick one single thing, it, it would probably be uh, our Joe Madden interviews. Well, I'll tell you what, that actually came at a good time, too, because that was a really tense season when you think about it. That 2019 season, I mean, his his job was in jeopardy that whole year. So it kind of like broke the ice in some cases because there was a lot of weird moments throughout 2019. So um, I do remember that segment a lot. And Joe's a Joe is a schmoozer. Like yeah. there's, so I, I feel like it, it definitely put him at ease. And um, and actually, this is kind of a, an aside question here, and a little off off the script. But you know, do you kind of see similarities with Billy Donovan? Because I, I know you know you're in tune with a lot of the things to the Bulls. Do you think Billy Donovan kind of has that same kind of schmoozers mentality that that Joe Madden had? Um, not as much. Like Joe mm-hmm. was so cool, man. I mean, he he was. He was the character, the cool guy, cool old man, slick back hair, like, hey, what's up, bro? Like, chill out. Like, yeah. you know, California type type of guy. Um, Billy is a bit more serious, um, mm-hmm. but he's the, the, the biggest key to those type of personalities is the confidence they have in themselves uh, mm-hmm. and not really in the, in the job security. Uh, and that was yeah. huge. Like, knowing that I'm going to if I get fired from this job, I'm going to get another job because I'm good at this job. Uh, and that right. gives you a, a level of comfortability within yourself as a coach or a manager or whatever, if you're a position uh, of power for you to schmooze a little bit and, and, you know, and play with the media and be honest and be truth tellers, yeah. be truth to power. Like to that degree, I can see where that similarity, you know, is, but, mm-hmm. but Joe, Joe is just a different level of, of, of confident and cool. And I mean, he's always been like that. He's always been that personality. Uh, we're still getting to know Billy, you know, and, and it, they're in the different spots. Like, right. Billy is trying to build something up to get to where Joe Madden ultimately succeeded at in terms of winning sure. the championship. So let's see, let's see what Billy, let's see once they do a bit more winning, he gets used to the landscape. I mean, this is a weird season. Like he's not really, 
getting involved as he would in, in a normal season. So I, I give him a couple years. I think, you know, let's do some winning here with the Bulls, and then let, let's see uh, if we can get him to play a little bit. So, okay, you, you have a nice gig going at the score, and then this opportunity comes along at, at NBC Sports Chicago. Um, and, of course, you were, you were dabbling in podcasts already at the score and other forms of digital content. You were going out to Bulls practices and, and capturing video from there. But what specifically enticed you to make the leap solely to web-based content at, at NBC Sports Chicago? Um, that is an interesting uh, story. Well, um, I mean, my first love is radio and probably will always be radio because that's the reason why I wanted to get into sports content, sports media in the first place. Um, and I didn't want to leave Lawrence's show. I mean, I haven't even been there a full year yet. And we've had a lot of successes. The ratings were great. Um, I, w- I wanted to be a Chicago staple on the radio. I wanted to be the guy that kids coming up would be like, man, I remember when Tony Gill used to produce shows and like on the lot on the long lines of people, great producers that the score have had. That's, that's what I wanted. That's, that's, that's what I wanted. And I didn't really see much further than that. Uh, but it slowly came to realize to, for me, to Lawrence, to my boss, Mitch Rosen, to a lot of people there at the score that I'm supposed I was going in the direction of something bigger and something larger and more, more meaningful in my, my career, no matter how bad I wanted to stay. uh, They, they essentially kind of kicked me out out, um, because they knew that at that point in time, the score couldn't fulfill me creatively on a larger level. Mm -hmm. Uh, NBC could offer me that. And of course, financially, you know that was huge. I, I would assume, yeah, that would that would be a big part of it. <laughs> getting getting insurance has been great. <laughs> well, yeah, so you, you could have just kicked it off by saying hey, it was the money. It was <laughs> it was the money. Um, I think though that's interesting because it does seem like, and I've I've noticed this since I've had you on Rebuildable when we've kind of talked even about some of these things occasionally, it was like more offhand stuff about what was going on with the, the show and your, your new gig. It always seemed like you were always thinking a few steps ahead, you know, cause I remember one of the first times I had you on, we talked about why you were recording these interviews with the, you know, with Jim Boylan and, and the players. And it struck me cause I'm like, man, he's, He's really like, he, he's not there just to grab audio. He's also thinking, well, people are going to look at this on Twitter. People are going to look at this on online. And like, to be able to kind of think like that, it, it, it kind of showed me that you're always kind of, the wheels are always turning in your head. So I, I, that's accurate then. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that that came from a sense of, you know, opening up the window a little bit, a, a small bit of insecurity, you know? Uh, yeah. when, you, when you get into these rooms with these people with years of um, uh, of experience and, and know the job, you know, front and back and had formal training and stuff like that. Like, I just went to media school, you know, for a year at that. Like, it was a year program. Mm-hmm. So and so I'm trying to catch up to, you know, if I'm in these spaces, how can I differentiate myself and how can I add, you know, to the group? And I'm always searching for that, like. I guess that's kind of like a, a personality, you know, flaw uh, of mine is, is kind of like, man, I don't deserve to be in these spaces. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm just a, you know, kid from, you know, South, uh, Southwest Inglewood, from West Inglewood, you know, just wanted to, you know, do sports things. Uh, so the, the fear of what people might say, if I'm not contributing, am I just hanging out? Like, I know mm-hmm. I didn't want that, you know, to be going around. I want people to see that. No, I'm, contributing to this ecosystem of sports in my own kind of little way. Um, there wasn't yeah. a lot of producers going out to games. You, you know, I, I wanted to make personal relationships with uh, teams PR. Like I wanted them to see my face before I send out an email or a phone call. Yeah. So, Hey, can I book your GM or can I book your player to come on Lawrence? I wanted them to match a name to a face. Um, mm-hmm. And as long as long as I'm there, hey, fans want to see what's going on with these players um, that they don't get a chance to see. And I knew I had that advantage being one of the before, you know, Rob Schaefer and, you know, other people mm-hmm. before I came one of the old, uh, uh, 
not the youngest, but not the oldest. Like I've been kind of in the middle now. You're, you're <laughs> um, in the medium sphere right, right now. But but for, for a little bit, I was the youngest person there. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had an advantage digitally where they're just getting audio for their for their written stories. Nobody's recording video other than the TV people who are going to play it later or just going live to television. Nobody is servicing the the group that I'm part of, the digital crowd that is searching on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram for content on their teams. Mm-hmm. I was able to provide that and, and fill that little gap. And then more pe- you saw more people started to you know do it and, and pick up on it uh, as as time went along. And I was like, yeah, I, I was able to contribute uh, to that and. Um, you know, it, the score, they weren't really prepared for a digital space when I was there. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we got to do, I got to do no zones. I got to do behind the headlines, storytelling, podcasting. Um, and there's still not a lot of people doing that in this market. There's obviously there's a large market for, for that yeah. type of content. Uh, but nobody's really aggressively attacked it. Um, oh. like, like to be honest, like I have, like I've done the, the I'm back, uh, episode, uh, for Chicago. It's, it's the highest downloaded podcast in NBC sports history. Like there's a market for it. Um, and it takes time because, you know, people mm-hmm. got their daily content of hey, just do your team podcast, but there is a, 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 a hunger for storytelling and, and telling interesting stories in the podcasting space. The score wasn't really prepared for that, but NBC, has kind of shown me that they're ready to move in that direction. Yeah, and if you could share with the listeners a little bit, like what your role entails, because I think most people know about Bulls talk, Blackhawks talk, all the all the team podcasts. But what also goes into into your role? So um, initially, the job was just podcast producer, and that slowly kind of transformed. And I knew it would. Like I, the biggest thing when I was interviewing was like I need room, like I need space, I need people to talk to when I have ideas. Um, because I'm going to have a lot and they may be dumb. So a lot of them may be dumb, but I just need to get these ideas off. So, you know, it can formulate into something else and, and show them that, you know, I'm not just a, you know, producer, I'm a talent, I'm a personality. Like I'm all these things. You're getting a full packaged thing here with Tony Gill that you're going to benefit from. And they've allowed me to do that. So, uh, from, from just handling and managing, uh, the five teams, uh, podcasts, bulls, Sox, Blackhawks, uh, Bears, and and Cubs. Um, I've done voiceover work uh, as well. I've um, produced storytelling podcasts as well. I've been on you know TV uh, at NBC, you know Sports uh, Chicago. So um, I've kind of transformed the role from just podcast producer to digital content producer and, and digital contributor. Um, mm-hmm. And I've done some writing. I've written a couple things too <laughs> as well uh, mm-hmm. for them. So um, I. I if I had to put a name on it, I would just go just kind of digital content producer. Digital content producer. So do you think that's something that has to start happening more? You know, you were kind of hinting to it with some of the deficiencies with the scores kind of outlook. Do you think more places have to start looking at the the people they hire and looking for more multifaceted individuals, more multifaceted specialists? contributors, people that can do a little bit of everything. Do you think that has to start happening? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that goes, you know, all around too. Um, Because when you go into this business and I think people should, you know, know this, you can't just go in thinking, I'm just going to be a writer. I'm going to be the the greatest writer there is. Like uh, people aren't really hiring that anymore unless you're, the greatest, you know, Emerson, like writer of, of our time, like people, aren't, people aren't just looking for that. You got to be able to go on, be entertaining as uh, as an interview. Uh, you got to be able to um, um, work contacts and be an investigator. You got to be able to understand podcasting. You got to be, you got to be able to understand all these things if you want to be successful. Um, we've seen a lot. Um, and this is, you know, uh, uh, this year due to the pandemic of, of people getting furloughed, people getting, you know, let go. Um, and it's been really unfortunate. I have, I've had friends, you know, that have been let go by NBC and by 670 to score. Mm-hmm. Like there's been a lot of people, you know, out of work. Um, 
but you see the people that are still around and still have jobs because they're able to do a bunch of different things. Um, and, and, and companies value that now one, because they don't want to pay multiple people to do, you know, multiple jobs. If I can hire one or two people to do a bunch of different jobs, I would prefer, you know, that, that companies are just kind of consolidating a, a lot of their positions um, to people that are multi-talented. So, yeah, I think you've, if you want to get into sports media, you got to be able to not only know the technical sides of things and how to do things, you got also got to be you know, a front-facing figure. You got to have opinions and thoughts and know how to present those opinions and thoughts in an informative and entertaining way as well. You've been in the industry now six, seven years, right? And in that time, what do you think has been the biggest change or trend that you've seen since, you know, from the point you've started? Um, just that, like I knew, and I knew it was coming is the, the impact you can have digitally, uh, over over the traditional means of content consumption, which is terrestrial radio, uh, and television. People are getting their content in other places. Like, I mean, if you just have a, a regular conversation with, you know, a random person on the street, how many people are actually watching television anymore? Like, people hmm. aren't just waiting around for their content. It's more on demand than, than ever before. Uh, and I think big, major companies were a big step slow, you know, on these things. That's how you get why The Athletic is so successful, why Bleacher mm-hmm. Report is so successful, why Ball is Life, why Slam, you know, all these smaller spaces straight to digital spaces are being wildly successful um it's because they're getting closer to the players than ever before because players are young and they know what they you know what's going on right now in terms of social media um and now bigger companies mm-hmm. are like wait we want a digital presence we we want to pop in ig and, and snarky twitter you know a twitter account like it's taking them a while but they're starting to embrace non-traditional means uh, of giving people content versus buttoned up, you know, da, 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 da. and that's that's something that I constantly still you know push push against and, and fight for uh, because you you get into this space right as a manager right um, and you you have people that are traditionally trained and traditionally uh, uh, broadcasting, mm-hmm. but when it comes to the digital space, it's not like that. You know, how are you supposed to connect with the audience on a deeper and more meaningful level when you come at them with the suit and tie kind of kind of mantra? Like, no, that's that's not how we're moving now. People want to get to know you personally and get in, and fall in love with the character that is you. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's what I what I think people are are people are get are more willing to give more of themselves than just the personality they see. Uh, on, yeah television and on radio so that's that's kind of the wave that, that i'm picking it up on and I'm, I'm enjoying it it's really interesting you bring that up and i actually want to go to one of the podcasts that you guys have and it's bulls talk because i feel like the the bulls talk podcast i feel like has the best blend of everything with it and especially when you, you have jason who you know jason goff is probably one of the most talented broadcasters in the industry he's dialed into the nba but you know he has a really really you know unique personality and really like he's a, he's a conversationalist at heart you know um but then you blend that in with somebody like casey who's traditional and i feel like in a way you guys have really helped extend casey's shelf life and i'm not being mean to casey by saying that but you know somebody that would have just been a traditional reporter but you're kind of bringing out a different side of him almost on some of these podcasts which i find very interesting and then like rob young and hungry analytically driven kind of learning the ropes, but I feel like the three of them, when you have those episodes where the three of them are together, it's actually a really compelling conversation. That's just my my opinion as a listener, but I feel like it kind of blends all worlds together. Yeah, um, and, and thanks for, you know, for noticing that, um, the the nuances that you're picking up on on, on that uh, podcast. Um, and when, like, when I first got to NBC Bulls Talk was one of the least consumed podcasts um, on the network. And I couldn't fathom that, like, being a thing just because of how, one, 
they're your freaking partners. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and two, there is in like an extreme amount of people that are interested in the Bulls in Bulls basketball, uh, and you have the rights and. It, why are you getting this little amount of downloads and people listening to us? I didn't understand that. Uh, so when we put those three uh, together and, and, and my dream for all these podcasts is to have a, a team of characters that people, you know, fall in. If you hate one, you're going to love the other one. Like th- mm-hmm. they can have this grouping that they can fall in love with in terms of the characters of the show. Uh, and from my dealings, and, and this is why it was important for me to go out to these games and meet the writers that I'm going to be booking for shows and stuff. I got a chance to see what they're really like, like in real life, and not just yeah. through their writing uh, and and their appearances on radio shows or television shows. So I got a chance to see all of their personalities, and I was like, these people are hilarious. Like people mm-hmm. need to see this side of them and not just the hard-hitting questions, you know, person or or the, the analytical writings uh, that they these people have personalities. And it's my job now in my current role at NBC is to bring these personalities to the forefront so people can have a deeper, more meaningful connection to uh, uh, the people that they read and they see and, and they listen to. So um, putting these three together uh, was was intentional. Uh, because I knew yeah. Jason obviously is a conversationalist. He's 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 gonna do him, and then bringing this those sides out of Rob and KC and having them understand like, look, the the shelf life of just being the writer, you're, you're gonna become irrelevant. There's still writers mm-hmm. out there that just write, but how often do you hear from them on any other space? Like, I don't yeah. want to mention any names, but there's plenty of writers in this market that just do the writing thing because that's what they're comfortable with. That's what they're used to that didn't change with the market and they just got their little column and they maybe get a radio guest hit maybe, but they're not entertaining, (laughs) you know? So, and I knew that there's, there's entertainment in specifically KC uh, that needs to be shown off. So uh, the more we talked and this is, this is months and months of just offline talking um, Mm -hmm. like, Hey, you know, I, I need more out of you. Like I, it's in there like get more comfortable like people want to see like it's okay that you mention your family it's okay that you mention you know what you did with your kid that you beat your kids at basketball you know <laughs> like just now you come but like there's people want to see more of that and the more they became comfortable with each other and comfortable with the digital space you really saw it blossom mm-hmm. and I, I was going to point out like you can tell you know since casey's been on these more and more i mean he definitely from you know, comparing the the first time he might have been on to now, it's like night and day. Like he definitely feels like he's more like kind of comfortable in his skin talking with everyone. So it's really cool to see that because he he is a funny guy. Like he's got a dry you know sense of humor that's actually I think really endearing to people. Yeah, yeah, and and that's all I want. I just wanted people to see what I saw uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the people that we have and and the people that. Um, that don't necessarily get the behind the scenes look. I, I just want them to see what I see because I know they'll like it and, and enjoy it along with obviously their, their bulls information or whatever team's information. Yeah. And I guess that kind of n- nicely segues into something I wanted to ask you about with, you know, what, what makes a good podcast because the personalities I think are a big part of it too, but is there a certain, I guess, secret sauce that kind of goes into it? Is there elements of storytelling that you need information or is it just kind of a blend of everything i i have a theory about podcasting and i told my boss this and i guess it's one of the reasons why i got hired um podcasting is extremely intimate Hmm. and it's funny when you look at the history of of audio and people listening to audio, right? Those olden days with before television, people would gather around their radios and listening. Like I, side note, I'm a fan of old timey radio things. Really? <laughs> yeah. So like I would YouTube, I learned this from Trey the Chocolate Jock, who's a hip hop DJ when I was at okay. Illinois Media School. And I kind of just kept it going where you just YouTube old timey radio things because they had to tell stories just using sounds. Um, yeah. And people were entertained by that. 
And now here we're in 2021 with the growth and the boom of the podcasting era, people are kind of going back to that. Um, the pendulum swinging. It's crazy. Right. And, uh, and I, I will always appreciate Trey for showing me that early on in my career. And I think that's given me a distinct advantage on how to be interesting in audio because it is intimate. When you put on those headphones, you're literally in that person's head. And the, the trick is to stay there. So how do I stay in that person's head? How can I make them a, an addict of what I can bring audibly? Uh, and a big key to that is being, one, as authentic and as yourself as possible. Uh, hmm. People have grown used to the television broadcaster. And there's still some out there that, you know, we love and, and we go Boog Shambi and Vin Scully. And like, I mean, there's, Kevin Harlan, there, there's actual broadcasting yeah. people that we still love, um, but that's it. You just love them. You don't know why you love them. They've just been a part of your life. But is there a deeper connection to these individuals that you can make? And I think being your true, authentic self and not being mm. afraid to be your true, authentic self, um, because it's all about connecting with people. Um, whatever you like, somebody is going to like it. You know, like somebody may hate it, but hey, that's that's what it is. Um, and you don't have to be for everybody. There's always going to be somebody that matches wits, that matches feelings and ideas and thoughts with you that's out there. Um, and not being afraid to be yourself and being authentic, I think, is a is a huge key, regardless of how it may come off. It may not be professional, quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, to talk about cookies, you know, on a, you know, digital space like it. it it's not. But people like cookies. Like, yeah. Just matching and connecting layer upon layer upon layer with people just by being authentic, I think, is the the, the huge key. Uh, and picking up on all those authenticities, finding out this this is what people like, like doing your research, listening to a bunch of different things to kind of crowdsource. Okay, what's what's what are people gravitating towards, and how can I learn from that? Like, I'm not mm-hmm. a huge fan of Barstool stuff, but I know there's a huge audience out there that listens to Barstool. So what what's attracting them other than, you know, obviously the nonsense and kind of wild <laughs> stuff that they do over there. So what, what can I learn from them? What can I learn from Joe Rogan? What can I learn from Charlemagne the God uh, in his... Like, what can I learn from the people that are dominating in these spaces? And how can I take a little bit of that, a little bit of that, and bring it into my space and the stuff that I can control? Um, and blend it with how can I be the most authentic me? And I think that's interesting. You, you're bringing up that term authenticity there because the common thread of all of those different podcasts and all those different media outlets you're naming or those personalities, they're very authentic. Like they they stick to really what their personality is. They don't try to stray from that. Like that's who those people are. And I think that's one of the reasons why those podcasts are wildly successful. You know, aside from podcasts though, are there... Other forms of digital content that you think are going to burst through to the forefront? Like we talked a little bit about video, but do you think there's other things that are coming, you know, on the web apps that you think are going to explode in the next five to 10 years? Um, you know, on, on demand content is, is really starting to, uh, well, not start. I mean, people, it's been going on for, for a little bit now. Um, people want what they want when they want it. So how do we, as sports media, feel that need, especially because, you know, you have seasons in your sports. You know, there's an off-season. Like, how do you continuously fulfill those needs um, as a, you know, a content creator? What are you doing with these athletes? Like, I think that the next stage, I think more athletes are going to start developing their own spaces. Hmm. Um, and it's up to these big media companies to make sure you stay ahead of that. You know, if, if Tim Anderson, he's been kind of leaning, you see what he's been up to digitally, you know, he's got his own personal photographer. He's got, I mean, Trevor Bauer, you know, is, is another example. Like you're going to have to partner up with some of these, these more interesting athletes. Once you notice the talent and how people gravitate towards them and start giving them room to create their own spaces. Um, do, you, do you think it could be concerning though just a little bit sometimes when 
if you're partnering up too many with these athletes because you lose the impartial voice or is there a balance that you can strike with that? I think there, there is a balance and I think you're supposed to have that balance. Um, the, it, when you mention what's the, what's the next phase, um, I don't think you lose yourself in the critiques and the, the cause you still got to break down these games. Like that's the baseline of kind of all of this It's just, how do you expand on that to service all the needs of, of the fans other than just breaking down a player? Um, People want to get to know who they're rooting for. Uh, and that's and that and some players, uh, the Players Tribune, the Undefeated, like un, uh, Uninterrupted, like they're, they're going to these spaces where players have control over their own voices. And I think it's up to these companies, these bigger markets to offer these things to these players. Uh, one, because I think it's financially beneficial for, you know, for mm-hmm. yourself. Like in, instead of the player doing his own thing, going on his own YouTube, you have the infrastructure already to, to help them out with, with this space. Why not do that? Why not offer that? Um, and I think that's kind of where, where the sports, you know, industry is going and the blending of sports and pop culture. Like you're yeah. not going to be able to separate, especially, you know, with what's, what's been happening the last four years with uh, president Trump, like, you're going to have to blend these spaces and be able to do it in an interesting, in a creative, uh, in a uh, in a fun way, because all that just stick to sports stuff is dead. That is that mm-hmm. has been dead. Now you got to talk about people's in, uh, players' impacts uh, on on the culture. Uh, and I go back to to Tim Anderson because he's kind of doing that. Well, he's impacting people on on different levels, not just mm-hmm. with his baseball skill. And I think writers and 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 TV people uh, need to understand, like, we got to be able to adequately blend all of this together. Well, and, and I think that's a, an interesting point with, that you bring up with, like, Tim Anderson, too. Like, especially with everything been, that's been going on in the country in the last four to five years, there's outlets to tell these different stories. Like, that's the one thing that web content brings. It brings us unlimited access to it you know we don't have our restrictions we don't have anything like that that could hold hold that back so you have more opportunities to do this kind of storytelling or to you know get more of these thoughts out there you know it it opens avenues for different types of listeners too where i feel like and you you probably know this coming from the sports radio realm there's like a, a specific demographic that hogs sports radio we always hear it's the 25 year old to 25 to 49 year old male, I think is the, the powerhouse demographic in, in sports radio. And I feel like it opens it up to more voices too that way. Yeah. Yeah. You get to service the actual fan base, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. it's more than just the, the 25, the 18 year old, the 54 year old male. And specifically, yeah. if you want to get into further details, white male, yep. <laughs> um, there's fans across all different landscapes of gender and, race and you know ethnicity that you can benefit from financially and creatively by one giving those people voices women minorities voices Mm -hmm. and they can connect to a a larger audience i wanted to bring this up with you about just the one issue with with sports radio i think it's it's one that's been brought up a lot and and we're talking about it now is just i mean it's a white male dominated medium you know, and it seems like there's a real short-term vision in sports radio. Like, nobody wants to bring in more of the women broadcasters. We don't have a lot of voices of color. You know, especially in a, in a market like Chicago, which has plenty of people of color. Like, I don't... I, I mean, I know why. There's short-term money to be made. And when they look at the, the, the ad dollars right now, they say, well, we'll let, we got to hit this market. We got to bring back Dan McNeil. You know, they, those are the kind of decisions that end up getting made. But I feel like there's a lot of opportunities if they kind of spread out the format a little bit. I'm curious what you think. If they were to cut down each show and do smaller two-hour shows throughout a day to try to get more voices in as possible, do you think that could work? And then you maybe span it out to more digital stuff where you can hear more exclusive interviews and things like that off radio. Like, could that work or is that a little too, too bold? 
Yeah, I think at, at this point, um, it might be a bit too bold. Um, you know, you don't want to oversaturate your if we're specifically talking about radio, the you know your your lineup um, with too many you know voices. You want a, a nice solid stable of you know of voices. Um, and I get that means hey, it's limited spaces you know during the rated hours um yeah. you know to have uh, and i get that but you know it's going to change every you know every so often things happen and in those moments of you know opportunity to you know change somebody retires somebody you know is gone you got to expand who you want you know in these spaces um mm-hmm. example uh my former colleague and, and my friend layla rahimi like it's yeah. been there hasn't been a a daytime female host at the score ever. You know, yeah. and it's been since the the old old olden days, uh, since they had a woman at all. Yeah. Um, uh, on the radio. Like I mean, it's only two black daytime radio hosts in the city in Lawrence and in Jay Hood. Like mm-hmm. people should take notice of that. You know, like you're discussing these games with majority black athletes but you have a limited number of representatives of that space in media Mm -hmm. and it's up to program directors it's up to uh the listeners to reach out and and say hey i want to hear more people that look like me i want to hear more diverse opinions you know on these things because it's it's ultimately going to benefit you as a fan and as a consumer of sports to hear multiple uh, different types of you know opinions uh, in, mm-hmm. in your sports consumption. Yeah, and I I think that's interesting because like we were talking about here with with Chicago, I I don't think it really represents the full scope of the Chicago area that actually watches these these games too. You know, it sounds like we're hearing from the traditional white meatheads all the time that call in. Even you know, it, you kind of notice that it it alienates the listeners too when you don't have these these fresh voices. Yeah, and, and I think that's why the digital space has exploded as it has is because, all right, if you're not going to provide that to me, traditional medium, um, I'm going to find out where it is. And it's, look, it's with this, it's with podcasting, it's with uh, video content, YouTube. Um, people are looking for content that speaks to them. Uh, and if you're not, if you don't have a diverse uh, lineup uh, that you have uh, on on for example, I'll, since I work here on television at NBC and podcasting mm-hmm. and, and the video space, if people, if you're not fulfilling all those needs somewhere in these three different areas, people are going to go look elsewhere. And, and yeah. that's what you don't want. You want to be able to make sure that you're servicing as many fans as possible. Do you think, as, as we start to, to wrap up our discussion, do you think that eventually some of these sports radio stations uh, in particular, and, you know, it could be even other TV networks maybe, might have to look at how they really ramp up their their digital space. What are some ways you think they can do that? Maintain what they're doing on TV and and radio a little bit, but branch out in other areas. How do you accomplish that? One, it's, they're going to have to see the financial benefit. None of these big major companies move without knowing that, um, that there's a financial benefit that can come from it. Mm. Um, and sports media hasn't really figured out how to, one, make as much money as they have been on television and podcasting. Um, and they've kind of figured out that they can make money off ads with video content. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, if people are leaving their televisions, are unplugging, where where are there, where are their eyes going? Where are their ears going? How do we make content that people want to watch that where they are? Uh, and how do we make money uh, off doing that? And I think these major, because all these people in the big time positions, they're traditionalists. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of forward thinking going on at the higher levels of television and, and radio. It's not because they're used to what's made them money and what's made their careers, uh, which is the the traditional ways. So 
now you're getting people like me and obviously smarter than me, other people um, that don't, don't sell yourself short there. I mean, (laughs) I mean that, that have an understanding of where the people are uh, and how to create content where the people are. uh, But because it hasn't been done before, major companies are like not really fully investing yet on, on how to sell and their sales people, their sales department don't really know how to sell digitally either. Like that's a huge mm-hmm. issue. Um, and I've seen it on multiple spaces uh, uh, yeah. of people in sales, not truly understanding what it means to have an impression, you know, yeah. like how can I make money off of people just watching or people just tuning in every once in a while like it, it people are still learning that and they deserve the space to kind of get used to the new ways of people how people are consuming uh content but it's going to take a concerted effort to make content that lives digitally youtube hmm. what if you may have to make a scripted youtube series an office type of feel on on a YouTube channel for your sports, like it's not sports, quote yeah. unquote. Um, so they might not see the benefit of it, but that's what people are looking for. They're not just looking for the breakdowns of their games. Like, of course, they want that initially, but what's going to satisfy them for the rest of the week? So yeah. you need to be able to fulfill those voids uh, and, and be a staple in a returning space. Oh, what what is six seventy the scores got on YouTube? What did they just post? Or what did they just post on on Twitter? What's this Twitter video like? You always want to be a part of the zeitgeist of the ecosystem. That when people first think of the, how do I consume sports content, you want to be one of the first places that they name. So, like a, a good example would be like if you're if you're a place like six seventy the score, you might have a a YouTube channel that has videos that do score stories because we know people are obsessed with that in that space. Or you might have just kind of like different type of side content to kind of fill that void week in week out. Yeah, every all of these major companies need to start thinking in that way, and that's kind of what I was thinking and Julie the Carol thinking when we thought about um, you know behind the headlines um mm-hmm. when i first started doing those zones it was one of the only other independent you know podcasts the score w- was making i think the uh, kick uh kicking screamers and howlers i think was the original kind of side podcast the score, yeah. Yeah. score was doing but um they weren't really promoting it like i made sure that no zones was you know talked about every time i was on the air i mentioned no zones because i knew that people want to be serviced um in terms of their sports consumption in other ways as well. Um, so I, I just try to make sure that people understand people in key positions. Hey, we might want to start looking at YouTube. Like the company just start looking at YouTube now, like as a, as hmm. a means of, of content consumption and a way we can make money off of like there's, there's ways to be creative. And, and I'm trying, I'm trying to constantly expand and, and reach my branches, you know, out, to, to continue to be able to be creative as I can in these different, different spaces. Um, and, and so far NBC, it has, hasn't told me no really much or anything. So that's been cool. Uh, but I'm still pushing the boundaries of, and, and again, I'm not saying I know everything or I know how to do everything, no. but there, there's a bunch of creative people that I know that I work with that, and that I know of that are capable of doing these things. And I want to make sure that, Hey, there's more content and more things to be made here and more money to be made if you want to go that route. Yeah, like move some of that resource to this end. And this is a, kind of like a, a quick aside with that too. You know, I'm, I'm in the the SEO and digital marketing field. So for me, um, I'm trying to get more content pushed to YouTube. Being more in the SEO space, I know that if I'm ranking for article content, if I had a video to go along with it, I have a chance to get two impressions, not one. You always have to think about just taking a little extra time to do a video to go along with this. It might double traffic. It might bring in a different avenue. Mine's like how-to content, so it's a little different, but same. It's the same, but it's the same type of concept, yeah. though. You know, mm-hmm. like you're trying to cover all avenues, and that's the one thing. There are so many avenues you have to cover nowadays. Yeah, and you can't be afraid to to attack those. You cannot be afraid mm-hmm. to attack those. Yeah, you may, you know the first one may flop. You know, like yeah. it needs consistent and concerted effort uh, if you want to be involved in these spaces. Uh, and then you got to be able to say, all right, now let's attack. Let's uh, let's sell this stuff. 
you know, let's sell to these, these tech companies, these, you know, this is, these are the numbers that we have. These are the amount of people that are looking at our stuff. You know, do you want mm-hmm. your ads in front of these people? Like, I mean, it, it, it's going to take a, a, an overall effort by, you know, a tire company. You just can't leave it to a, a division. Like it needs to be worked yeah. with, with everybody that, you know, there's a, Hey, this is what we're going to do. This is the plan. And this is how we're going to attack it. Okay, I might bring you in to actually sell that to some of my bosses if you don't mind. Is that that cool? Let's bring Tony Gill in one day to the office. Last question, and I don't want to get you in trouble because you you know you're with NBC Sports Chicago. But would you ever consider finding your way back to sports radio to help bring it in to the future and and bring it into this next wave of, of digital content? Um, at this point, you know, in my career, um. Well, one is gonna is gonna cost some money. <laughs> uh, that's that's number one. Uh, you, I mean, you, you got the first iteration of Tony for free. <laughs> um, the, next, the next go around, you're gonna have to pay. Uh, but also, it's not even just about the money. Like I'm doing in in a being a part of so many different things that I wouldn't be allowed to over at the score uh, creatively. Um, I can't just do the radio anymore. And I love radio. I would love to be on the radio. Like I would love to do Lawrence's show. It's fun. But I also <laughs> need to do more than that. I need to I need to be doing voiceover stuff. I need to be doing like some on air stuff. I need to be doing some some a little bit of writing. I need to be doing uh, uh some video content. Like in, in video like NBC Sports is so far fulfilling me in that way creatively. Uh, hmm. that I know that radio isn't ready to hmm. take on because they're still making, I mean, you just saw the score. They just read up with, with the Cubs. Like they know where mm-hmm. their bread is buttered and, and it's kind of the traditional ways right now. Um, so until they see a, or have an intent from way up, you know, in intercom hmm. that hey, we're pushing more digitally and this is what we want to do. We want to create content there. Um, it's going to be tough for me to move just because like NBC, NBC Sports Chicago is, has been fulfilling for me creatively, uh, so far. Mm-hmm. So, um, when, when I start, when I start not feeling that I'm able to expand and, and grow, that's when I may get anxious and may start looking like, eh, you know, I may need another space to, to kind of move and grow. But so far, uh, and especially, you know, long-term, like it seems like NBC Sports Chicago is heading in, in the right direction for me. I do think that there could be another station that comes into town at one point. And what if it's Tony Gill program director, you know, or content director at that point, you never know what the title could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's tough. <laughs> you know, that, that that's tough. Uh, and I've been, I've been thinking about that, you know, a lot like, all right, you know, where do I see myself in the next, you know, 15, you know, 20 years or whatever. Um, and I'm just so in love with getting my hands on the content uh, and enforcing my creative will on on things uh, because I, I know it's going to be good and it's going to be fun. It's going to be entertaining that like, it's hard for me to see myself, at least right now. And I'm only 28. You know, this can change. Not being involved directly. Right. Mm-hmm. Having to pass it off and trust somebody to create the vision that I have versus me creating the vision and then implementing my uh my vision directly i know the the more you move up the less and less you have to be hands-on because that's just kind of like you got other responsibilities so um uh, that's something that uh, you know i've 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 talked with you know plenty of people that that i trust that oh you know i see you being you know director of content or whatever whatever but i just love making you know, the content. And I guess that's why they want people of that ilk in those spaces, just because they have Mm -hmm. a good understanding of the content. But man, I, uh, it's, it's tough for me right now. And again, this can change, but for right now, right now, I I'm enjoying and loving being hands-on with, uh, the content. All right. Well, we'll talk in 10 years and, and see where your head's at at that point. You might start thinking, eh, I don't want to be as hands on anymore. And the money's pretty good too. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tony, I I really appreciate you coming on and uh, taking this journey with me on this first episode of Media Matters. Thank you so much. 
No, thanks a lot, man. I'm reaching out. You know, you know, I'm happy to join anytime, man. Thank you for listening to Media Matters, a series by the Rebuildable Podcast. For more episodes, please subscribe to the Rebuildable Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you stream your podcasts. Thank you.